I am announcing today that the United States will withdraw from the Iran nuclear deal. That was President Trump on Tuesday, May 8th, doing what, frankly, most of us in the nuclear world expected. But what we didn't expect was how extreme he went. In a few moments, I will sign a presidential memorandum to begin reinstating U.S. nuclear sanctions on the Iranian regime. We will be instituting the highest level of economic sanction. Any nation that helps Iran in its quest for nuclear weapons could also be strongly sanctioned by the United States. To be clear, President Trump announced not just that he is withdrawing from the agreement, but that he's actively violating U.S. commitments under it. I don't know how to describe this decision as anything other than an unmitigated disaster by a president who was always intent on destroying an agreement he never understood. And I'm not the only one. This is the most devastating action the president has taken yet. That's Joe Cirincione, president of the Plowshares Fund. Full disclosure, Plowshares is one of our generous funders who make sure our nuclear and non-proliferation analysis can continue. Joe has worked on nuclear weapons policy for more than 35 years as a professional staffer on Capitol Hill and at various think tanks. He's also a regular on MSNBC as a nuclear security expert. He disregards the advice of his most senior military and national security advisors. He disregards the advice of his allies. He disregards the advice of Republican and Democratic leaders in, in the Congress. He justifies his decision in an avalanche of lies. And in the process, he destroys the strongest anti-nuclear agreement we've seen in decades, undermines the credibility of the United States, widens the gap between the United States and our closest allies, has no plan for how to replace this, for what to do next, thereby increasing uncertainty and insecurity in the region. I think President Trump has been playing with all of us. He's been this big cat sitting there playing with a mouse for the last 15 months. He was determined to do this. That's Barbara Slavin, the director of the Future of Iran Initiative at the Atlantic Council. Barbara covered foreign policy for various newspapers, including The Washington Times, USA Today, and The Economist. She was also an editor at The New York Times. She's widely recognized as a premier Iran expert. I think of the hundreds of people in so many countries who have worked for so long to to get this agreement. And I think about how they're all feeling today. I think about the Iranian people and the tremendous disappointment that they have faced. The ramifications of withdrawing from the Iran deal are enormous. We'll have much more from Barbara and Joe about that in a bit. But first, yet again, we have to debunk the various myths and lies that President Trump told the American people about the agreement. This is Nukes of Hazard, a podcast from the Center for Arms Control and Nonproliferation in Washington, D.C. I'm James McKeon, a policy analyst here at the Center. President Trump's decision to withdraw from the Iran deal puts the agreement on life support. The other partners to the agreement, the United Kingdom, France, Germany, and European Union, Russia, and China, are going to attempt to salvage it. But without the United States' involvement, there is a very strong chance that it will completely collapse at some point in the future. So, here we go again. Fact check time. At the heart of the Iran deal was a giant fiction. 
that a murderous regime desired only a peaceful nuclear energy program. Uh, yeah, no. The whole point of negotiating the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, or JCPOA, was to prevent the Iranians from ever getting a nuclear weapon. It wasn't based on trust, not even in the slightest. In fact, it was based on the most stringent restrictions and inspections regime ever negotiated. It forced Iran to ship out 97% of its enriched uranium. Because of the agreement, Iran verifiably filled the core of a heavy water nuclear reactor with concrete, rendering it inoperable. Iran reduced its installed centrifuges by two-thirds. Iran can enrich uranium past about 4%, when 90% is needed for a bomb. I could keep going for a very long time. The point is simple. The JCPOA, also known as the Iran deal, verifiably blocked all of Iran's pathways to a nuclear weapon. Period. Today, we have definitive proof that this Iranian promise was a lie. Last week, Israel published intelligence documents long concealed by Iran, conclusively showing the Iranian regime and its history of pursuing nuclear weapons. What he's referencing is a conspicuously timed speech that Israeli Prime Minister and longtime critic of the Iran deal, Benjamin Netanyahu, recently gave. In it, he purportedly revealed new information, I put those words in quotes, about Iran's nuclear program. I'm here to tell you one thing. Iran lied. Big time. I'm going to let Joe take this one. We all know that Iran lied about its past program. It's very clear that Iran had a program to develop a nuclear weapon, which they abandoned in 2003. In 2003 and never reconstituted. Everything that Benjamin Netanyahu represented on that stage was about that past program, as if this was news, as if there was something dramatic that had developed. No. So what was the purpose of that? If we all knew that they had lied, and we knew this at the time of the agreement, why was he raising this? I think it was to portray Iran as a liar, as a country that could not be trusted, to try to put an original sin on the deal. It was conceived in a lie. So therefore, the, the fruit of the poison tree. And you heard then Donald Trump repeat that today, as if that justified anything, as if this was somehow the moral certainty coming down that, the, that he, Donald Trump, was going to correct this original sin. He was going to save us from this sinful agreement. It's a bit biblical, but completely untrue. On top of that, the former International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA chief inspector, after watching the Netanyahu briefing, said, quote, I just saw a lot of pictures I had seen before. Some of the images that we saw I briefed in closed session in February of 2008. Moreover, the U.S. Office of the Director of National Intelligence released an unclassified assessment in 2009 that stated, quote, We judge with high confidence that in fall of 2003, Tehran halted its nuclear weapons program. That assessment hasn't changed. So, to sum up, Prime Minister Netanyahu released no new substantive information about Iran's past nuclear activity and no evidence that Iran is currently not complying with the agreement because they are in compliance. As Joe said, we already knew that Iran lied about its past nuclear program. That's precisely why we negotiated the Iran deal in the first place, to make sure that they couldn't do it again. 
But in Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Trump's twisted logic, the answer is to get rid of all restrictions on Iran's nuclear program by pulling out of the deal. It doesn't make any sense. The agreement was so poorly negotiated that even if Iran fully complies, the regime can still be on the verge of a nuclear breakout in just a short period of time. The deal's sunset provisions are totally unacceptable. If I allowed this deal to stand, there would soon be a nuclear arms race in the Middle East. Everyone would want their weapons ready by the time Iran had theirs. Yet again, I don't even know where to start with this one. First, President Trump has used the so-called sunset provisions as a main argument for the U.S. violating the agreement. It's true that some of the restrictions on Iran's nuclear program expire in about 7, 12, 17, and 22 years from now. But what is never mentioned is that Iran agreed to intrusive inspections from the IAEA in perpetuity as part of the agreement. The idea that Iran could simply wait out the agreement and then have a nuclear weapon is simply untrue. But even if you believe that falsity, how does getting rid of the agreement now make anything better? You'd rather have Iran close to a nuclear weapon now than in a decade, or two, or longer. A lot can happen in that time period. It doesn't make any sense. Making matters worse, the deal's inspection provisions lack adequate mechanisms to prevent, detect, and punish cheating, and don't even have the unqualified right to inspect many important locations, including military facilities. Can you believe it? Another falsity. I'm going to repeat the exact same language I used in an earlier podcast. Even opponents of the Iran deal are forced to admit that it's the most robust and strict agreement in the history of nuclear arms control. The 24-7 tools of verification given to the IAEA are unprecedented. The IAEA is closely monitoring Iran's supply chain of nuclear materials, centrifuge production lines, and any purchases that might be used for a nuclear weapons program. The deal also provides timely inspections to any undeclared facilities where suspected nuclear activity may be occurring. So if Iran does cheat, they'll be caught, and then we can reimpose sanctions. The IAEA reported 10 times that Iran was complying with the deal. Our own intelligence agencies agree. President Trump's own Secretary of Defense confirmed to Congress that Iran was in compliance and said, quote, I will say that it is written almost with an assumption that Iran would try to cheat. So the verification, what is in there, is actually pretty robust, as far as our intrusive ability to get in. Yes, the Iran deal, like all diplomatic agreements, isn't perfect. But if it was perfect, it would be exactly what we wanted and nothing the Iranians wanted. That's not an agreement, that's an imposition of will. And that usually doesn't happen with an adversary without a terrible, casualty-filled war, which, unfortunately, might just be on the horizon after President Trump's decision. So yes, the agreement doesn't allow for 24-7 access to inspect military facilities. Does President Trump really think that the Iranians would allow adversaries access to all of its military facilities at all times? But the deal does allow for those undeclared military facilities and others to be inspected if any evidence arises that something nefariously nuclear is going on. So President Trump's answer is to withdraw from the agreement and have zero access to Iran's military sites, even if evidence does arise. It doesn't make any sense. 
Not only does the deal fail to halt Iran's nuclear ambitions, but it also fails to address the regime's development of ballistic missiles that could deliver nuclear warheads. Finally, the deal does nothing to constrain Iran's destabilizing activities, including its support for terrorism. Since the agreement, Iran's bloody ambitions have grown only more brazen. To be brief, he's right. The deal only covers Iran's nuclear program. That's because we wouldn't have come to an agreement if we tried to negotiate all of Iran's other destabilizing and malicious activities. Anyone who says otherwise clearly doesn't understand the very basics of diplomacy. But alas, this has been a standard talking point of those who hate the fact that we had any agreement with Iran, no matter what was in it. Joe explains their strategy. You highlight the compromises that we made, and you minimize the compromises that the other side makes. You can destroy any agreement like that. And, and that's what happened originally with the JCPO. Oh, it didn't deal with, uh, with their, Iran's behavior in the region. Oh, it didn't deal with their missiles. Oh, it right. That's right. It doesn't deal with the despotic nature of the regime. It doesn't deal with their support for Hezbollah. It's not a cure for cancer. It's not going to help you shed those unwanted pounds. It does one thing and only one thing. It stops Iran from getting a bomb, and it does that brilliantly. What would be laughable if it wasn't so tragic is the fact that without the agreement, or likely now after the U.S. withdrawal from the agreement, Iran's destabilizing and malicious activities will continue without any restrictions on its nuclear program. And of course, all of Iran's bad activities will be made one million times worse if Iran actually has a nuclear weapon. It just doesn't make sense. So you might be asking, what happens next? I wish I knew the answer. The thing is, it's pretty clear that no one does, not even the White House. The Trump administration has admitted that they have no real plan B. So we're all stuck guessing. One thing that's likely to happen is Iran will formally accuse the United States of violating the agreement at the Joint Commission, which was set up under the deal to resolve disputes. From there, it's anyone's guess. What's pretty clear is the United States gains almost nothing from this decision. Barbara Slavin points out that one country, though, will get quite a bit from this. I've written that China is the biggest beneficiary from what Trump has done uh, and what he has been doing in creating uncertainty about the deal. China is already Iran's biggest trading partner. Um, We will see more trade, more investment from China, which is in a better place to create mechanisms to go around the the dollar and the U.S. financial system in order to continue interactions with Iran. So this is just, it's a disaster on many levels. It's a political disaster, too, for just about everyone who isn't extreme. There's this idea in the United States that Iran's politics are straightforward that there are few disagreements among the country's leaders. Well, it's just not true. And now, this decision likely means that the hardliners in Iran, the ones who have recently lost in elections, are strengthened. Iran has politics. It's not a monolith. It has a very unusual system. But even from the very beginning, you know, when Ayatollah Khomeini was the leader of the country, there were always factions, multiple factions, and uh, different ideas about capitalism, about foreign policy, about freedom and and civil rights. There have always been differences within the country. Hassan Rouhani is somebody who, I don't call him a moderate. I think he's just a pragmatist, someone who has lived through the entire revolutionary experience in Iran and 
has come to an understanding of what Iran requires in order to be a successful country. So he was elected in 2013 with a mandate to resolve the nuclear issue and use this as a stepping stone to reintegration in the international community. That was his goal. He's now fatally weakened. His foreign minister, Javad Zarif, is also politically exposed. They look naive and foolish for having negotiated this agreement. The hardline elements in Iran have certainly been strengthened. They have to sort out their internal difficulties because for the hardliners in Iran, this is a gift. They said all along that the moderates, the pragmatists like President Rouhani didn't know what they were doing and that you couldn't make a deal with the U.S. So now the Ayatollah gets to say, see, I told you. There's a prominent idea among some opponents of the deal, especially those with neoconservative ideologies like John Bolton, the president's new national security advisor. Yes, that's the same John Bolton who continues to defend the decision to invade Iraq and purposely blew up a previous agreement with North Korea out of pure ideology. For more on that, check out our previous podcast episode called The Once and Future Framework. Folks like Mr. Bolton believe that if we just pressure the Iranians more, the regime will collapse and democracy will reign. They truly believe that getting rid of the Iran deal and reimposing sanctions will somehow make this happen. It's insane. Literally. The definition of insanity, the adage goes, is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. In reality, things are about to get much worse, and the chances of an unintended or intended conflict are on the rise. Opponents of the Iranian regime have been sort of licking their chops and thinking, aha, if we blow up the JCPOA, this is going to lead to regime change tomorrow in Iran. I don't think so. I think it's just going to lead to more misery and potential confrontations in in the Middle East between Iranian proxies and American, Israeli, and Saudi proxies. I just don't see that it's going to lead Iran to a good place anytime soon. In some ways, the most striking aspect of President Trump's decision was his reference to North Korea. Today's action sends a critical message. The United States no longer makes empty threats. When I make promises, I keep them. In fact, at this very moment, Secretary Pompeo is on his way to North Korea in preparation for my upcoming meeting with Kim Jong-un. Plans are being made. Relationships are building. Hopefully, a deal will happen. And with the help of China, South Korea and Japan, a future of great prosperity and security can be achieved for everyone. The logic comes down to, hey, I'm going to kill a nuclear agreement I just made with Iran, despite the fact that Iran is in compliance with it, just as I'm gearing up to hopefully negotiate a nuclear agreement with you. You'll definitely trust American commitments now. It's honestly ridiculous. That point has been made quite a bit, so I don't want to harp on it too much, but here's something else worth pointing out. It's hard to imagine that North Korea will actually give up all of its nuclear weapons. It's possible and certainly desirable, but pretty improbable. It's also important to note that the Iran deal was the most complex and intrusive nuclear agreement ever created. It took years to create, and Iran did not actually have nuclear weapons. But given the width and breadth of the North Korean nuclear program, by comparison, The Iran deal was easy. When dealing with the North Koreans, the likely best-case scenario in the short term is that Pyongyang agrees to verifiably freeze and maybe even partially roll back its nuclear and missile programs 
in exchange for sanctions relief and other U.S. and international concessions. This could mean North Korea ships out much of its enriched uranium, destroys its plutonium production facilities, has no ability to reprocess spent nuclear fuel, and maybe, just maybe, puts their nuclear weapons under international lock and key. In this scenario, North Korea even grants international inspectors unprecedented access to the country's nuclear facilities to ensure it isn't violating any commitments. What's unlikely is that North Korea will allow completely unfettered access to, say, military sites, or to agree to irrevocably destroy its entire nuclear infrastructure, or to accept intrusive inspections that last forever. In the end, if the United States is successful in getting a deal, it will likely end up looking a lot like the Iran deal. In that case, I won't be holding my breath for Iran deal critics to come and criticize President Trump for negotiating a weak deal and giving the North Koreans exactly what they wanted, a legitimized nuclear weapons program. That's because the opposition to the Iran deal was about politics, not substance. Today, for some in Washington, support for nuclear arms control and non-proliferation agreements has little to do with the facts and almost everything to do with who is in the White House negotiating. I hope we can change that. When we're dealing with nuclear weapons, we shouldn't have to play politics. We're simply trying to prevent catastrophe. That's what the Iran deal was doing. Period. Now, we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know that President Trump chose fiction over fact and domestic politics over international consensus. Usually we try to close on a positive note, but there's nothing positive about this situation. President Trump just increased the nuclear threat facing this country. We at the center will do our best to fight back. We hope you will too. If you enjoyed this episode of Nukes of Hazard, please consider giving us a rating on iTunes. And if you have any questions or comments, you can shoot us an email at podcast at armscontrolcenter.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at at nukes underscore of underscore hazard. Our Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash armscontrolcenter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you soon.